What's up? Welcome to the Danny Picard Show, Tuesday, July 21st, 2015, as always, broadcasting from the Beantown Athletics Studio in Dorchester, Massachusetts. Beantown Athletics, the only in-house union screen printer in Boston, specializing in custom uniforms and business apparel. Follow them on Twitter, Beantown underscore dot, also on Facebook, facebook.com slash Beantown Athletics, and on Instagram, swing by the shop on Granite Ave in Dorchester, or give them a call, 617-282-4181, that's 617-282-4181, and make sure you tell them that I sent you. Uh, Apologies for not having a podcast yesterday on Monday, uh, but I was out of town, and uh, I didn't get back until late yesterday afternoon. And I was not rushing in here to give you a podcast because by the time we did it, it wouldn't be available until last night. And, uh, you know, the Red Sox played a doubleheader yesterday. They played at 5 o'clock Eastern time, then they played at 10 o'clock Eastern time. And I watched probably about a half hour of the second game until I got to the point where I was like, you know what, they're not going to win this. They're not going to hit. They're not going to pitch. The Red Sox are not going to win. And you know what? They didn't win. And they get swept by the Angels, a four-game series. They lost both games yesterday in the doubleheader in Los Angeles. And if you look at the standings today on this Tuesday, July 21st, the Boston Red Sox, 10 days before the non-waiver trade deadline, are nine games out of first place in the AL East. Nine games out with a 42-51 and record. The New York Yankees in first place. The Orioles in second, four games behind the Yankees. The Blue Jays in third, four and a half games behind the Yankees. And the Tampa Bay Rays in fourth, five games behind the Yankees. And then, of course, you have the Red Sox sitting pretty in last place, or should I say sitting ugly in last place, nine games out of first place. And you know what? Before this series and before the All-Star break, you still could look at the wild card standings and say, well, they're only five and a half, six games out of the wild card. And you know what? While they might have seven or eight teams ahead of them, they weren't the worst team in the American League. Well, that has all changed today. When you go to the wild card standings this morning, you see the Red Sox are in last place in the wild card standings. They are tied for being the worst team in the American League. Eight and a half games out of the wild card. Dem and the Mariners both with 42 and 51 records. And uh, it's not pretty right now. And with the four-game sweep that the Angels uh, handed to the Red Sox in L.A. to return from the All-Star break, you combine that with the, the loss the Red Sox had going into the break against the Yankees, and you're looking at five straight losses for the Red Sox, four and six in their last ten, and it is ugly. And as I mentioned, we are now ten days away from the non-waiver trade deadline in Major League Baseball And, uh, you know, we get into this conversation of who's untouchable, you know, who would you think about moving. I talked about that and some other Red Sox stuff and even got into a little Roger Goodell deflategate with Dan Roach of WBZ-TV. He's the sports anchor for WBZ-TV here in Boston. He can also be heard on 98.5 The Sports Hub. He joined me over the phone earlier this morning. I'll play that conversation for you in just a few minutes, but first and foremost, let me just give my take on what I think this Red Sox team should should do here before July 31st, which is the non-waiver trade deadline. 
And I, and I guess, I, I, you see, I've thrown in the towel on this Red Sox team. I threw it in a long time ago. And I know people tried, some people try to tell me that maybe there was some hope, given the fact that they look, it looked like the offense was coming around. And before that Yankees series, before the All-Star break, you saw a lot of positive signs. This team was on a very successful stretch where they were giving you some signs of life, some reasons to be hopeful that maybe uh, the improbable could happen. That maybe, you know, you could make a run, make a trade at the deadline to help this team and make a run into late September and possibly get yourself in a race, especially where you play the Yankees a good, I believe, 10 times, right? I mean, 9 or 10 times. So there's an opportunity there if you could somehow get closer, you know, somewhere between the three, four games behind the Yankees. You maybe could control your own destiny when you do play that team again 9 or 10 times. But... People, some people try to convince me of that, and I told you it just can't happen. I told you it can't happen because they can't pitch. You know, the Buck Colts injury does not help. Uh, and, of course, now Buck Colts is going to see Dr. James Andrews, I believe, what, tomorrow on Wednesday? He just wants peace of mind. But, look, peace of mind could last you another month for all I know. So the Buck Colts thing, to me, it's just – it's mostly disappointing because this was a guy that had the highest trade value on this team. And I was telling you before the injury, weeks before the injury, that they the Red Sox should be getting ready to deal Clay Buckholtz at his highest trade value that maybe he'll ever have again. And uh, then you don't trade him, he gets hurt, and now we're looking at a Clay Buckholtz that you're going to have to keep around because the trade value is not getting any higher. And, and I don't think, even if he comes out next season and, and shows some signs of dominating again, honestly, if you're another GM in Major League Baseball, how much of a gamble are you going to take on Buckholtz? And are you going to give up a lot to get him? Probably not. So that's the most devastating thing to me with this Red Sox team and what you have here coming up to the July 31st trade deadline. Now, that's not to say that the Red Sox don't have some very valuable trade pieces. But if you want to talk about the ones that are movable, that are we'll call them touchable, right? Uh... You start to you start to get into the whole, all right, here's who's touchable. Here are the guys you could move. And it's the business-type transactions. It's the guys in contract years. Or it's the guys that are too old, uh, that are getting older, or, or that maybe aren't success, as successful as you thought they were going to be. The guys you'd like to move, right? But these are also guys that you might not be able to get a lot in return for. That, you know, like a Mike Napoli, like a Shane Victorino, like a... Justin Masterson, for example, right? I mean, what could you get for these guys? And I know they signed Rick Porcello to his, to this monster contract, but look, if you're the Red Sox and you can find a way to eat some of that money and get a better package in return because you beat the money, yes, I would think you should move him. But at the same time, I don't know that the Red Sox are going to do that. They made a major investment, and I'm not sure they're going to be willing to give up on that, especially where they made the investment in, in Porcello before he even threw a pitch for this team. Right, they signed him to that four-year extension, uh, around nineteen, twenty mil a year. So four more years after this year. I mean, they gave him that before he even threw a pitch. So I don't know that they're just gonna give up on that right away. I just don't think that's gonna happen. So I don't think they're gonna move him. I think the obvious moves the Red Sox are gonna make: trade Napoli, contract year; trade Victorino, contract year; trade Masterson, contract year. 
you know, what's the trade value there, though? Like, what is some GM going to give you for those pieces? Is any GM around the league looking at the Red Sox going, yeah, we really want this guy, and we're going to be willing to give up a lot to get him? I don't think so. I, I do believe that teams will want a Victorino, that teams will want a Mike Napoli, but I, I think that they have all, those other teams will have all the leverage in the world. You'll get something better than if you just DFA'd a Napoli and let him clear waivers and sign with anybody he wants and don't get anything in return. I mean, I think you can get something in return, but it's not going to be a top prospect. It's not going to be anything that you can sit there and say, wow, we definitely have a guy that we got for Mike Napoli that's going to be ready in 2016 to make a major impact on this club. It's just not going to happen. I do think that this is where maybe the scouting comes in to be a little bit more, you know, you need to prove to me that it's, it's, it can be a little bit more effective uh, based on the fact that, all right, maybe you try to steal a prospect from a team that doesn't think highly of someone, a young kid. And you could say, you know what, they don't think highly of this young kid, but we do. And we think we're getting a steal here. We think we're stealing this player from them. You know, you got to try and make something like that happen. And I do think that's possible. But, you know, I, I guess I look at this Red Sox team, and we, we need look. The Red Sox need to make moves for 2016 more than they need to make moves for 2015. It's clear. It's evident. And I've been saying that for weeks. I'm not just saying that because they get swept by the Angels. I was saying this before the Yankees series, before they lost two of three to the Yankees at Fenway the weekend before the All-Star break. I've been saying this for a while. And, and I look at it and I say, you need to get dominant pitching into, onto this team, onto this Major League roster. And sure, we can go to this Angels series and we can say the offense didn't do anything, right? You got a dominant performance from Wade Miley um, on, what was it, Friday night? And, you know, he took a no-hitter into the seventh, right? He took a no-hitter into the seventh inning, and that was dominant. Uh, he goes seven plus. You get into the ninth inning. You get Koji Uihara in a spot in which he's got two outs and he's facing Mike Trout and he's trying to pound fastballs by Mike Trout. Bad decision. He puts it in the seats and it's a walk off and you lose one nothing. Now it's easy to criticize the offense in that situation and, and in this really this entire series because they didn't show up. Let's face it. But I think that if you want to be a team that's a contender in this league, you need to show me that you can. Come up with the big hit, one, but also be able to continue to pitch to show me that you can give your offense, even in a time in which they're struggling, even on a night in which they're struggling, give your offense a couple more chances to get that big hit. At some point, if you want to be a dominant club in Major League Baseball, you got to win the one nothing game. You need offense, you need the big hit, but you also need the, you need the pitching, right? You need to continue to shut guys down on the mound. And... You know, the way I always look at it is I'll focus more on the pitching aspect. You know, the longer you can keep a game alive, the the, the more likely it is you're going to come up with that big hit eventually. So you got to keep pitching, in my opinion. But you just look at this entire staff. Rotation, bullpen. I mean, you got Eddie Rodriguez tipping his pitches again yesterday in L.A. And you know what? That might be a bigger issue than maybe I looked at it to be the first couple times he was doing it. And he was doing it yesterday. I don't give a fuck what the Red Sox say. Eduardo Rodriguez was tipping his pitches yesterday. Fact. And Jerry Remy has done a fantastic job pointing it out. And anybody who says, oh, Remy shouldn't be doing that. He shouldn't be pointing it out. Do you know what the same people that are yelling at, do you know what you would be saying if Eddie Rodriguez had been tipping his pitches for three straight starts, Remy knew about it, and he didn't say jack shit? You know what you'd be saying then, you fucking assholes? You'd be 
crushing Jerry Remy and saying he's not doing his job. He's a homer. Oh, he's getting paid by the Red Sox. They should get someone else in there. No. You know, Remy's doing a great job. So I'm not going to go off on him for calling out that Eddie Rodriguez tipping his pitches. Here's how you fix it. Don't tip your pitches, okay? I like Eduardo Rodriguez. I look at this entire staff and I say, he's got the best stuff on the staff. He does. He has a fastball that is overpowering in the mid-90s, 95. He can dial it up to 96. Uh, and you know what? He's got, he's got a hard changeup, yes. But when you throw 95, 96, you can throw a harder changeup. I mean, it, it's a changeup. It's an off-speed pitch based on what your fastball is. So you can throw a harder changeup if you throw a harder fastball. All right? I just, you know, yesterday's another situation where, sure, he was tipping his pitches. But there's a major difference to me in tipping your pitches and only throwing two of your three pitches and tipping your pitches and throwing all your pitches. Yesterday, Rodriguez, what did he throw? 36 pitches yesterday, got, got taken out in the, in the second inning. He lasted an inning and two-thirds, six hits, let up seven runs. Uh, you know, he spotted the Angels a 7 nothing lead. In the bottom of the second inning. And it was hit after hit after hit. Those seven runs came on a span of eight pitches. But the 36 pitches that Eduardo Rodriguez threw yesterday against the Angels. He only threw three sliders. Three. I know he, I know he's mostly fastball. You know, he's going to try to pound fastballs past it. And I'm fine with that. Right? But you got to mix it up. But you can't just mix it up with one pitch. Especially when you're tipping your pitches. Okay. Head down off speed. Keeps his head up. Fastball. He was doing it again yesterday in the second inning. He was. It's a, I don't care what the Red Sox say. It's a fact. We saw it. Okay, it happens. He's doing it again. But you know what? When you put your head down and the hitter says, okay, this is an off-speed pitch. Well, all of a sudden, if you're not throwing your slider, not only is the hitter going, it's an off-speed pitch, the hitter's going, it's a change-up. Right? <laughs> At least if you're going to tip your off-speed then what you, what you should be doing is tip your off speed and then have the hitter going, well, okay, it's going to be an off speed, but it's either going to be a slider, down and in, down cutting in hard to my shoelaces or from a right-handed hitter, or it's going to be a changeup on the outside. I mean, look, there's a difference there. And for some odd reason, Eduardo Rodriguez decides in moments, in innings, and in games that he's going to just eliminate one of his pitches completely. That's a terrible strategy especially when you're tipping your pitches, okay? Look, I'm not going to sit here and give up on Eduardo Rodriguez today, but I am going to tell you that this is a major issue. And I am going to tell you that this is an issue the Red Sox front office does not need to have, does not need to think about right now. They don't need to think about this situation if they're in a situation where they need to start making some serious moves, whether it's before July 31st or in the offseason. Okay? All right? They, they don't need that extra situation because all of a sudden you've got to now question, is this such a big issue that maybe we should, you know, are we going to be able to fix this? Because if we're not going to be able to fix this, well, then possibly this he does have a lot of trade value. All right? If we can't fix this. It has to be a legitimate question now. He's done it more than once. He's done it more than twice. He's done it several times. Uh, I, I, legitimate issue. So. It's a question that you shouldn't have to be asking yourself if you're the Red Sox. It complicates things a little bit more. It complicates the thought process. 
But to me, you ask me right now, you put a gun in my head, you say you trade in Eduardo Rodriguez because he's tipping pitches, and I will say no. You, you're not doing that right now. You're not. You know, you're not doing that. Um, we get into the whole touchables, untouchables, whatever it is, right? Who's untouchable? Who's not untouchable in the Red Sox organization? <sighs> a, a lot of people, look, the, the more this team loses, the more this Red Sox team loses, the more I am telling you that, again, no one is untouchable. It is, that is, right? And I, I told you that Eduardo Rodriguez is a guy that I'm not going to move, and I, and I say that only because when he's been dominant, man, he's, it's, it's been, to me, not even a question. Combined with the stuff that he's dominant with, I just feel most comfortable when he's on the mound, and he's 22 years old. He's in diapers. He does have an overpowering fastball, and I'm just not going to trade a guy like that. I'm not. I'm not. I, honestly, I, I, the more this team loses, and even seeing him tipping his pitches, the more I tell you he's probably the only guy who wouldn't move right now. Now, you know, you get into the Bogots debate, the Mookie Betts debate, okay? Some people have wanted to get into the Dustin Pedroia debate, right? People have wanted to have it. What do you do with him? We have the Hanley Ramirez thing debacle, and all of a sudden, Hanley Ramirez's average has dipped down to 265. You got the Pablo Sandoval situation. Um, oh, man, there's a lot of just questions here. There's so many questions that I have a tough time sitting here with this Red Sox team being nine games out of first place. I have a tough time sitting here telling you that anybody is untouchable. Right? I, I do. Bogarts should have been in the All-Star game. I think that what Bogarts has done with his defense this year is the most overlooked storyline of the 2015 Boston Red Sox. He made a play on Friday night in the seventh inning, seventh inning, Friday night with Miley on the mound. Boca did, did, did just, and it was one of the more interesting innings the Red Sox have had because, you know, you, you, return, you return from the All-Star break. Wade Miley's looking to bounce back Friday night in L.A. First game of that series, first game return. And you have a four-game set against the Angels on the road in L.A. Wade Miley was brutal against the Yankees to send the team into the All-Star break with a loss. Miley's trying to bounce back. And you know what? He does. And he, he brings a no-hitter in to the seventh inning. Um, he allows Calhoun gets on, okay, with a hit. Mike Trout does just, you have one out. Mike Trout, oh, you have no outs. Mike Trout does an amazing job to move the runner from second over to third in a scoreless game with no outs by taking an outside pitch. And sending it the other way, basically saying, I know that I can get this pitch down and out of the zone to the warning track in right center field and move that runner to third with one out knowing I got big Albert Pujols behind me, hitting behind me. So Trout does that. You know, you're looking at the best hitter in baseball, and if he's not the best, he's the second best. I'll call him the best. The best hitter in baseball, having the mindset to say, you know what, this is probably not a pitch I should be swinging at. But since I got Pujols behind me, and he's having a tremendous season, and he's facing, you know, there's a lefty on the mound who could throw him some junk middle in for sure. I'm going to move this, and this is a low-scoring game in the seventh in our own ballpark. I'm going to move this runner along. That's the mindset. And I'm going to do it by taking a pitch I probably shouldn't even be swinging at and putting it to right center for a sack fly and move him to third. And that's exactly what he did. Move him to third. One out. First base open. 
One out. Runner on third. Scoreless game. Lefty Wade Miley on the mound. I don't care how good he was in that game. First base is open. Pujols is at the plate. They decide to pitch to him. Shit you can't make up. I mean, first game back from the All-Star break. Scoreless game. Seventh inning. In L.A. One out. Runner on third. Wade Miley on the mound. Albert Pujols at the plate. First base open. You decide to pitch to him. This is shit you can't make up. They pitched to him. And luckily for them, he got out. He popped out. Luckily for the Red Sox, he popped out. And that was it. A run didn't score, right? It was a, it was a, luckily. The Red Sox got so lucky, it's not even funny. And then you got Ibar up, okay? Ibar puts a ground ball to the left side of the infield. Xander Bogats goes to his right and makes a play that, you know, Wade Miley was fired up about, Mike Napoli was fired up about. This is the type of play that people around this time last year told me that Xander Bogats would never be able to make at the shortstop position. Never. And he's and he made it yesterday. He made the play to his right, off balance, made the perfect throw. Bogats' defense is the most overlooked storyline in the with the 2015 Red Sox. When I look back at the 2015 Red Sox, sure we might look at the emergence of an Eduardo Rodriguez, if especially if he can fix this tipping his pitches thing. And and I'm gonna I'm gonna go on a limb and say he'll be able to fix that. Um, or at least maybe disguise it for, for, for the time being and really fix it in the offseason. But really the most, the biggest storyline will be Bogots' defensive improvements to the point where he looks like a shortstop. And he doesn't just look like a shortstop, he looks like one of the best shortstops in the league, okay? And if the All-Star game didn't mean anything, Bogots would have been there. Because Ned Yost, clearly his strategy was, all right, I need to take a Red Sox player. And it's late. Uh, well, I want to. I want to take the guy that can play multiple positions and still be a very productive play. So he took Brock Holt. Given the situation, you know, he didn't make a bad decision. You know, then you get into the whole. Well, Brock Holt was the Red Sox only All Star, and John Farrell can't even find a fucking spot for him in the lineup in a four game series. What do you find? What do you get in there? One game? I mean, uh, you know, questionable stuff here coming from the manager now. In fairness to that, possibly it was the front office saying, we need to get Mike Napoli at bats. We need to get Victorino at bats because we need to do something to raise their trade value. And, you know, it can't get any worse than it's been. So we need to let them at least hit. And if that means not playing your only all-star, well, so be it. But um, just, you know, different, questionable stuff here in L.A. But Bogarts, defensively, man, the improvements he's made, most overlooked storyline of the season. You look at that. You look at his 306 average. You look at how young he is. He was the top prospect in the organization. You say he is becoming everything we thought he could become. Uh, and, and you say he's untouchable. Look, I do too. At least I was. I, 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 I'm not telling you I'm going to move him today. I'm just going to tell you the more this Red Sox team loses, the more interested I would be in seeing what the trade package you could get in return for some of these young kids when it comes to getting that stud starting pitcher. Because I think you need that more than anything. I think this organization needs stud starting pitching more than anything in the world. 
And before I completely call a guy on this Red Sox roster that is, what, nine games out of 500, is the last place team in the wild card race, is the last place team in the AL East, nine games out. Before I tell you anybody's untouchable, I need to see what the trade is. <laughs> Honestly. Like, like I need to see what the guy is that you'll get for certain players. Right? I mean, because if you're telling me you could come up with a package that could overwhelm, let's say, the Miami Marlins to give you a Jose Fernandez. And look, I know some people might say that's unrealistic. He's under control. The Marlins don't have to spend money on him, this, that, the other thing. Okay. I get that. Right? I understand that. I'm just trying to be... Look, Let's say something like that was on the table. You mean to tell me you would you would make anybody on this Red Sox roster untouchable? I, I'd have a tough time doing that. Like, so again, I need to see the trade that could potentially be on the table before I say anybody on this Red Sox team is untouchable. Uh, so they could go a number of directions. But where I think they will go is just moving the Napolis, the Victorinos, Yes, I would trade Koji Uihara. I would. I would trade Koji. And and I think when you talk about trade value, now that Buckholz is hurt, Koji's probably the guy on this team who's most realistically who most realistically you'll move that has the most trade value. Right? Right? Uh the most realistic trade chip for a team that's down and out of it. That's in selling mode. Uh, Koji will get you your best return. Now, do you look at a team that is contending for a playoff spot and a championship and not just needs a, a, a closer or a relief pitcher, but also needs maybe a bat? Right? Do you, do you, I don't know, you go to Houston? I mean, I guess I have a question. Do, do you go to Houston this week? And, you know, did Napoli and Koji come come home with you? You know what I mean? I'm just thinking out loud. Like, do, does Koji and Napoli, do they, just, do they just stay in Houston? And you make that move? With an organization that you know is a, 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 a ton of young top players, right? I, let's see. I, I'm not ruling it out. I'm not ruling it out. But it is pretty clear. Out of the guys that, that, you, that you would trade under a just realistic, okay, we're selling, here's our veterans, contract years, older guys having success, we're looking at next season and the future and beyond, here's the guys who move. Out of those types of guys, Koji has the highest trade value. There's, I don't even know if that's up for debate. Guys that are on the Major League roster. Of course you have guys in the minor leagues. I mean, the Jackie Bradley Jr. discussion is, is an interesting one. And and maybe we don't have enough time for that right now. And maybe let's see what happens here in the next 8 to 10 days before the July 31st trade deadline. But if you're looking to make a major splash if you're the Red Sox this offseason, and I do think that this offseason is probably the time that you do that, right? The more you sit here and lose if you're the Red Sox, the season's over. The, the time you make a major splash for a blockbuster deal, for a stud starting pitcher, is probably this offseason. Um, is Jackie Bradley Jr. in that, in that package? And, and if he is, you know, if he is in that package, does that mean he came up to the major league level at the end of the season? Or does that mean he stayed in the minor leagues? Like, what would give him the most trade value? 
It's a question the organization needs to ask. Because if you move Victorino, you know, and you got the whole elephant in the room with the uh, Roosnay Castillo and the contract he has. I mean, this organization, holy shit. Uh, there's a lot of <laughs> a lot of questions. Uh, again, I, that's why I say, you know, I assume the last thing you want to be thinking about is having your your really your top number one young pitcher and Eduardo Rodriguez dealing with tipping his pitching issues. That's just not something you want to be thinking about, but you have to. It's another thing in your plate. But the Jackie Bradley Jr. discussion is pretty interesting to me because I'm not sure that you risk bringing him up to the major league level if you do and he can't hit again. He can't hit for a lick because he's tearing it up at the plate in the minor leagues. And at least if you keep him there and he continues to tear it up at the minor league level at the plate, other teams around the league could say, well, we know what he does in the outfield. He's phenomenal in the outfield. We wonder what he could do. We wonder what he could do um, at the major league level at the plate, but we'll never know. But we'll never know. Right? We wonder, but we'll never know. Until we actually make the trade. Until we actually make the move. And that's where the Red Sox would, to me, have their highest trade value with Jackie Bradley Jr. While not risking affecting that trade value by bringing him to the major league level and seeing him fail at the plate. Right? Now, there's all, always the, he comes up to the major leagues. There's always the, the, he comes up to the major leagues. And he does have success at the plate. In which case, you, you know, two things happen. One, you either increase his trade value even more than it would, was when he was tearing it up at the plate in the minor leagues. Or two, you all of a sudden think to yourself, man, we might, be, we might move Mookie Betts. Someone might want Mookie Betts more because he can also play the infield. His regular position second base. Right? And maybe we just slide Jackie Bradley Jr. to center field and say this is the kid we thought we had. So that's why the Jackie Bradley Jr. thing is, is going to be so interesting. And I'm interested to see how they handle that. Do they keep him in the minor leagues this season, or do they bring him up? Man, I don't know. I, I, I honestly don't know. I, I, think, I think the fact that you have Mookie Betts as well, I think maybe would you'd be able to talk me into bringing Jackie Bradley Jr. up again and seeing what he is at the plate. I just There's this big risk that you're taking that maybe he can't do it at the major league level. And you and if you show that one more time to major league teams, his trade value goes down big time. Big time. And if you're preparing for this major blockbuster trade this offseason to get you a stud starting pitcher, and Bradley Jr. would be a part of that and would, would prevent you from having to give up, you know, more prospects than you would, do you risk bringing him up to the major league level? It's a legitimate question. And I'm not so sure I have the answer to it, and I don't know that the Red Sox do either. I guess if you put a gun to my head, I would say, since you have Mookie Betts, right, as well, and if the Jackie Bradley Jr. project does fail completely, at least you know you still have Mookie Betts in center field. So maybe you do give him one more shot. You almost need to see, right? You almost need to see it. I think the curiosity, you just hope the curiosity won't kill the cat. (laughs) You know what I mean? With Jackie Bradley Jr., um, because if you're so curious, which I am, which is why I probably will bring him up to the minor leagues, and I think it's probably why the Red Sox will too at the end of the season. Bring him up for the minors. But the curiosity that you have and seeing what he is 
given his recent success in the minor leagues at the plate, it could crush his trade value. It could kill his trade value. It's the risk you take. Gun to my head, am I willing to risk it? Yes. I, I think I, I probably would be. But I'm admitting it's a, it's a risk. You got to take some, I guess. Got to take some risks here at the end of the season. That's why I would end up doing it. Uh, Brian Johnson, is he a risk? He'll pitch tonight for the Red Sox against the Houston Astros. Whatever happens in this game, I'll break it all down for you. I, I No, Brian Johnson, you you know, you need to put him in. The, he should have been in the rotation a month and a half ago. So, you know, this is a guy you're building for 2016. Uh, whether that's some type of blockbuster trade again this offseason, I don't know. Let's see how he pitches tonight. Um, I'll, I'll, again, I'll break it all down for you on tomorrow's podcast. You have five days a week. DannyPicard.com. You can also get the show on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, wherever podcasts are available. You can get this show. I do five shows a week, but it's it's always available to you. Uh, and right now, I'll play my conversation with Dan Roach from WBZ TV. You know, he we talk Red Sox. We get into a little Patriots because we're still waiting on Roger Goodell. Uh, stick around afterwards. I'm going to close out the show with some thoughts on some things that happened over the weekend. Again, I was not here yesterday on Monday. I apologize for that, but I'm back here now the rest of the week. And uh, there was some things that happened over the weekend outside of Red Sox baseball that I do need to talk about. Uh, the British Open, uh, the Open Championships, which they're, they're now calling it. Again, still waiting for Roger Goodell. And, uh, oh, yeah, I, I did get to see WWE Battleground. And I did watch Raw last night. And I'm going to sneak in my... My thoughts on what's been going on in the WWE to close out the show. But right now, here is Dan Roach. It's what we do here. I'm going to talk everything. WWE is not something that I just am going to rule out completely because uh, it is something that I watch, that I pay attention to, that I've always been a fan of, and I won't ignore it. Not here on the Danny Picard Show. But here is Dan Roach, my conversation with him this morning. Enjoy, and again, stick around afterwards as I wrap up the weekend. All right, joining me over the phone right now is Dan Roach, WBZ-TV sports anchor here in Boston. You can also hear him on 98.5 The Sports Hub. Follow him on Twitter at RoachyWBZ. Uh, Roachy, good morning. How are you doing today? Doing well, Danny. How are you? I'm good. Listen, the Red Sox returned from the All-Star break. We all watched what happened this weekend. Uh, and even yesterday in Los Angeles, the Sox get swept by the Angels in four games. They have now lost five straight. Uh, nine games out of first place in the AL East, last place in the wild card race. This is it, Rochi, right? This season for the Red Sox is officially over? Yeah, you know, I had, uh, you know, with them, I looked at them and said, if they, you know, go back a week or so ago, and, and we're sitting there saying if they could sweep the Yankees, I think they would have been within two and a half games of the American League East lead. So then you're, you're feeling pretty good about yourself when you go into the break. And, and lo and behold, you know, that Friday night game, they're laying eggs. They get a win on Saturday. Then they, they just didn't look good and they couldn't get the pitching that they needed on Sunday. And then the all-star break hits. And you're like, well, maybe if they could kick off this West Coast swing a little bit, get going, something can happen for this team. And then they come out and they can't score. Mm. Uh, they pitched okay, but they're, they're facing a real good Angels team. They get swept. And you're sitting there saying, yeah, this is the, the time pretty much where it's done. And if you're Ben Charrington and John Farrell and company, you're starting to look towards next year. Uh, and, and sit here and say, what can we do to get the best team ready for 2016? And that's how I look at it. I still have these guys try to go out and win every single night. Obviously, that's your objective as a professional. But 
uh, it would take a miracle in my mind at this point for them to come back. You know, the most disappointing thing, obviously, you look at over the weekend was early in the series they weren't scoring. Really, throughout the whole series, they were not scoring in this one. But, you know, Eduardo Rodriguez, I've also I've always looked at him and been, okay, this is the guy in this rotation. To me, I feel most confident in Eddie Rodriguez to go out and, and stop any type of losing skid. Now, he's had a couple games in which he hasn't been very good, and a couple of those times we've, we've looked at him maybe tipping his pitches. I looked at this second inning yesterday, and I agree with Jerry Remy. I think that he was tipping his pitches because the Angels scored, what, seven runs in a span of eight pitches? It just, it, it looked to me like he was do, you know, he was showing them something. They were jumping all over him. He's not that bad, right? I still look at Eddie Rodriguez and I say, this is the top dog in this rotation to me. What did you see out of him yesterday? Do you think that he was tipping his pitches? The Red Sox say no, but but what did you think when you saw him pitching? Well, yeah, I mean, the Red Sox say no, but it was tough to argue with, with what you just said. The fact that, you know, Remy said it with, as well. He really gave seven runs on eight pitches or mm. something like that. It's just, that's insane. You know, in fact, I started going back and forth a little bit with Alex Cora, who was part of the Red Sox, you know, uh, when they were winning World Series in the early 2000s. And, and he said, to, you know, to me, basically, once a tipper, always a tipper, and that he may not think he's doing it, and it may not be a part of what you're looking at uh, when you first see and break it down, but there's something they may find even slight that's smaller than what he was doing with his head and things like that when they when they first filed it, in, I think it was in Toronto. And Corey said, you know, again, once a tipper, always a tipper. So maybe the, the, he said, you, you look at every piece of video you have on him, you look for every little thing you can find in his delivery, anything else that might be able to tip you off. And he said, go back and look at, I think, the first pitch that Albert Pujols took course, it almost looked like he was, okay, sinking and getting ready, and then the next pitch he exploded. So that, to me, says something like, uh, yeah, he maybe tipping things off. And then Cora and I both went back and said, well, he did throw the ball down the middle, too. So I think it might have been a combination of both. But for, him, for us to sit here and say he wasn't tipping pitches, eh. and I think the Red Sox, maybe they say that now, mm. because after what happened last time when they admitted it, but again, now guys go out and look for it. Maybe he gets in Eduardo's head as well. So I think the Red Sox may, you know what, guys, shut it down. Don't talk about it, and we'll try to figure it out on the side here, figure it out as we go. So it's certainly a concern, especially if this guy's going to be your ace going forward as the guy that you're hoping can be that number one. So it's something that you definitely have to look at going forward. Yeah, because, I mean, you know, when, when Rodriguez first came up, he gave us two, three starts right out of the gate in which, you know, I was saying, look, this is a, a breath of fresh air. I mean, I, I couldn't recall feeling that way about a starting pitcher for the Red Sox all season long until Rodriguez got called up. And then you have these games where he's tipping his pitches, I guess. Uh, Rochi, I look at it and wonder, you know, you're getting to July 31st. We're trying to put a list down of Red Sox untouchables. You know, Eddie Rodriguez to me is still untouchable. I guess I, I wonder... With this tip in the pitcher stuff, and, and you just mentioned what Alex Cora said, you know, once a tipper, always a tipper. If if that's the case, I guess I just wonder, just thinking out loud, if maybe the Red Sox look at him as untouchable, seeing that he is tipping his pitches once again, and maybe this is something they won't be able to fix. Well, yeah, and I think I think even the Red Sox, you, you have to try to fix it right away. Uh, at, at, at the worst-case scenario is I think you look at him and you say he's got a stuff. I think we can all see that. Yeah. So we see with his electric fastball, the changeup, slide, whatever he has in his repertoire, I think his ace quality stuff, we've seen that. So now if you go this way, I think you all could also could say we could fix it and break it down in the, in the winter too, in the off season and spring training. Mm-hmm. So I, I think in your mind, if you're sitting there in the Red Sox and you're saying, 
we feel this guy has the potential. And I remember front office guys talking to me at the winter meeting saying they thought Eduardo Rodriguez at that time had the potential to be the number one. They didn't know when. So, again, keep in mind, this is a progress. He's got a small body of work here. Uh, the tipping fact scares you, but I think that's something that's fixable. So, I, to me, he's still on my list of untouchables because of what he brings with that arm and what he was able to bring with that arm. But as far as the rest of them are concerned, it's not a big list. In my mind, it's best in Bogart. And I'm a guy that I want to keep Swihart because of Vasquez. You don't know what's going to happen, him coming back from Tommy John. Mm. But beyond that, there's not much else in that organization right now that to me is untouchable if you're going to go out and get a guy that's controllable and can be that potential ace for you as you continue to look for that. And, and Danny, let's face it, that's going to be the most disappointing part of the 2015 Boston Red Sox, going back to what we heard all spring, was the possibility of five aces. Seemingly, Clay did what he could, and Clay fell, unfortunately, into what we saw in his career pattern. But, you know, Porcello, Miley to some degree, none of these guys stepped up, especially Porcello, has become that ace that you thought at the age of 26, 27, 28, that these guys could step up and become. That's the theme to me when I look at this Boston Red Sox team. Uh, Rochi, I live my life playing the imaginary Red Sox GM. I, I do. And, and so I, I always really basically put myself in the shoes of whoever is in that, is in that spot. Right now it's Ben Sherrington. And uh, I put myself in Sherrington's shoes, and I guess – the most frustrating thing about it when it comes to trade deadline and trade value is the guy you just mentioned, Clay Buckholtz, and the injury that he suffered. Because I was saying this all along. The more he dominated, to me, the, the, the more likely it was I thought you had to move him at its highest value because something like this was just bound to happen. Whether it was injury, whether it was him getting ra- lit up a couple times and getting racked and you know, someone rattling his cage and never being able to bounce back. I just didn't think that stretch of his dominance would be able to continue for an entire season, really because the history shows it, it won't last an entire season. And it's not like Buck Holtz has been in the league for two, three years. He's been in the league since 2007. I really thought if he stayed healthy, you could really get a, a, offer another team a, a, a trade package of Buck Holtz, maybe a couple prospects, and really make something happen. And who knows, get another top prospect pitcher to move into this rotation next year with Rodriguez, with the Brian Johnson to me, the Buckholtz injury, when we, when we forget about this team and, and what they could do in the standings and realize that it's over, the Buckholtz injury, the trade value that he had, that's the most devastating thing for this Red Sox organization. Well, it's interesting, too, because, you know, being around the game for so long, you, you tend to go back to the whole theory that, you know, a guy is a career whatever hitter. If he's a 220 hitter, eventually he's going to get back to that level. If he's a 300 hitter, if he starts slow and has a terrible April, eventually he's going to get back or somewhere close you know, we've seen disappointing years where it's been completely off the rails, and then they rebound like a Mike Wolf hitting for, you know, the Florida Marlins, like five or six home runs, and then getting back to 25 or 30 where he was. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, I look at a guy like Clay Buckholz, and unfortunately, we're seeing his career track path continue. And, you know, to me, the most amazing number was when he came out of June, I think his career mark in June now was 16 and 1, 17 and 1, somewhere around there. Mm. But then it slides off dramatically in July and August. And you would hope, and, I, and having conversations with Clay, you know, he was hoping in his mind that, you know, I could continue my hot June into July, into August, and become that number one eight. He went into spring training, feeling physically the best he felt in a long time. The shoulder was fine. Everything felt good. Yeah, I'm with you. That's the most disappointing thing is the fact that Clay can't get over that hump with the all-star break. And to me, you know, if I'm another general manager, I'm looking at that career market thing. Do I really want to trade for this guy where I could pick him up on July 31st and August 2nd he's hurt? So it's disappointing, but I don't think Clay's doing anything different 
than what we've seen over the course of his career. So now you just got to sit tight with him. Hopefully he rebounds and gets back on the mound in a month and it's fine. But for, to me now, there's, there's no way anybody takes him, at least for this year and probably beyond that, because even though he's had to control for two years after and the club options or what have you, uh, I think everybody's got to be afraid just simply because of his career record. Yeah, and who knows what the timetable will be with Buckholz. That's another thing we've seen. You know, this kid wants the peace of mind, and we saw in 2013, even when he gets it, you know, it's not necessarily rushing back to work. So we'll see what happens with Buckholz. Brian Johnson obviously has his spot. Brian Johnson goes tonight in Houston. But you know who the, you know who the most interesting name to me will be? Whether it's before July 31st, the rest of this season, and even into next offseason, Dan, is that's Jackie Bradley Jr. We know what he can do in the field at the major league level. Uh, we've seen him not be able to produce at the plate at the major league level. But here at the minor leagues, he is tearing it up at the plate. And, and I guess I wondered, do the Red Sox, when they do make some moves here before July 31st, one, is Jackie Bradley Jr. a part of anything major? Two, if he stays and they move some other guys, guy like Victorino, are they putting him at the major league level, maybe risking his trade value by, by having him come up and not be able to produce at the major league level at the plate again? What, what do you think happens with Jackie Bradley Jr. moving forward? Do you think he's dealt before July 31st? Do you think he's, he's dealt this, this offseason? What is his future in the Red Sox organization, in your opinion? Well, I think that they have to find out. You know, uh, they, ha- they know what they have in bets right now. Uh, they know what they have going forward in the future with Bogarts, and now I'm with you. I, I think everybody's curious to see if Jackie Bradley can ever be a major league hitter, or is he going to be that 4A type of player where he goes down now, he's comfortable in AAA, a couple of home runs last night. He continues to you know, to show and progress that he is on the verge of getting back to the star player that they thought they had in, you know, coming out of South Carolina. Where does he go? And I think as an organization, you owe it to yourself for the time and the money that you've invested in this guy to maybe not trade him now, unless you get overwhelmed and, and someone includes him in a part of a package where you can get that young player, that ace that we talked about, the, the potential ace, uh, in, in a big-time package. But beyond that, I, I have to find out. You know, you, you can say goodbye to Victorino at this point. You can say goodbye to Napoli, what have you. i got to find out about my younger guys to see where they can be. I, that's why I think they got rid of Leon to get Swihart mm-hmm. you know, at that and everyday playing time at the big league level, let him develop, let him have that hiccup. And now you've got to put Jackie Bradley in either right field or center field, depending upon if you're going to leave Beth alone, and you've got to let him get his at bat. And you've got to show faith in him as a manager. And, and I'm not sure if John Farrell has that belief in him yet that he can hit on the big league level. It, it's, been a, it's been a challenge. Uh, Jackie's been a challenge for them. But I think someone in that organization has got to step up and say, listen, whether it be Ben or John Henry, says, you've got to give Bradley the at bat. You've got to let him see what he can do, believe in him, and let's see what he can do on the big league level because he's got too much value in that club, especially if you can put him in right field for the rest of his career and have him play right field in a Red Sox uniform and move the steel over to left, uh, I think you'd have a valuable, valuable outfield. And, again, that goes back to eventually moving Hanley to that DH. But I'm with you. I want to see everything from Bradley. The only way I trade him is if he's part of a bigger package that gets me that younger ace that I'm looking at. Yeah, and, and I guess that's where I go with him. That's my thought process because let's say you get to this. Let, let's say you don't bring him up to the major league level and he continues to dominate in AAA at the play. We all know what he can do in the field, but in AAA, let's say he continues to dominate. And this offseason, you have this blockbuster package in which you get that, that young, proven ace from a team that won't be able to afford that kid in a couple years, right? And you overwhelm another team. Jackie Bradley Jr. is part of a package. I think in that situation... 
Jackie Bradley has a ton of trade value, and I think if you were to bring him up, the risk that you're facing is that he comes up and he, and he can't get the job done at the plate, where then when you get to the offseason and you're ready to make that move, all of a sudden the other team is saying, you know what, we don't want Jackie Bradley Jr. because we know he can't hit at the major league level. At least I know, but Danny, go back to do you owe it to yourself because of what you've invested in this kid? Even if you come up and platoon him with a Castillo and right field or what have you and, and have him face you know, right-handers only or you know, let Victorino face left, whatever you want to do, even to give him that type of confidence to see because I think, yes, maybe you would want to include him to get that ace, but also if you've got a guy who all of a sudden they click, and we've seen this time and time again, you know, at age 23, 24, 25, 26, they click. If it clicks with Jackie Bradley Jr., mm. and he becomes a, even a 280 hitter, Danny, uh, and an OBP guy with that gold glove uh, at Fenway Park, I think you owe it to yourself to find that out, even even if you are, you know, more to the side of we've got to include him in a package. I think you owe that to what you put into him and your scouts and everybody else that found this kid. I think you owe it to him, too to say maybe we can stick with this kid and we have something here. Well, well let me ask you this, Rochi. Let's say Jackie Bradley Jr. comes up and, and he gives you signs that he can be, you know, 275, maybe 280 hitter. And I don't even know personally if I'm if I'm even asking that much out of him uh, given the, the, the outfield that he plays. But let's say he could do that. Do you all of a sudden, if you're the Red Sox, maybe entertain the possibility of moving bets and putting Jackie Bradley Jr. back in center field? Oh, that's a good one. You know, that's, like, again, that's the risk. And, and again, I think what the Red Sox do very well is Ben listens to his ops guys. Uh, you know, they'll, they'll get 15 guys in a room, and then they'll, they'll make some decisions and have some conversations, some that aren't pleasant, and they'll go about the room. And, and they'll sit there like you and I are sitting there saying, okay, yeah. we got an improving Bradley who looks like it, he's finally getting it. We can stick him in center field, and he's going to be a gold glove type of guy that's going to stay there for a long time. We have a kid in Mookie Betts who, who could be that, you know, that, that top of the leadoff, uh, top of the order guy with some power. He's, he's going to improve. He's going to get, you know, more powerful as he goes. Do we sit there and sit here and say, well, maybe someone comes and asks for Betts, do we give him up? I think they'll voice their opinion all the way around the room. They'll go as high as John Henry uh, and get his thoughts on that too and then try to figure it out from there. But at least then you have the option, right? They're sitting there saying, all right, well, you know, let's San Diego's going to give us Ross or Castro or whatever. Uh, but the only way they'll do it is if they include bets. So the only way they'll give us Cole Hamels is if they include bets. Well, at that point, you just have that, that luxury to sit there and say, well, you know, Bradley's uh, not, not necessarily the guy that we thought he was going to be, maybe better than we thought, and maybe we can make that risk, and that'll be the difference maker for us. So it's an option to have, uh, but it's going to be an awful lot to get bets out there. And the other thing to keep in mind with bets, you know, he came up as a second baseman. So if Jackie Bradley does indeed explode and become that guy, I think Beth could be moved somewhere else in the infield uh, and can adapt to that easily easily when it comes to to his bat. So I I think twice about letting him go, too. So, uh, yeah, a lot of questions here if we go down the stretch and into the offseason already. Yeah, so we can both agree, though, the moves the Red Sox should make should be for 2016. Rochi, before I let you go, one, one quick one. And we're still waiting on Roger Goodell, at least in fairness to the people who listen to today's podcast, as me and you have this conversation, we have, we have not heard from Roger Goodell yet. Uh, so as me and you have not heard from Roger Goodell yet, what do, what do you think we're waiting for? Uh, is this just the NFL saying we're going to pick our spot with the schedule and dominate the headlines just like we always do? Or do you actually believe that Goodell is still searching for new information and hasn't come up with a decision yet? Because I think he has a decision, and they're just manipulating their own schedule and, and the, the sports schedule, that is, uh, the main headlines on ESPN or all the major stations. Yeah, it's hard to believe that they don't have this figured out, that Goodell and his people don't have it figured out. 
you know, whether that's one game, two games, four games, zero games, they, they, they've got to have the idea. Goodell especially. It's been too long for him not to have an idea of what he's got to do here. Uh, so the question is, when do they announce it? And, you know, I was thinking about this this, this morning, and I, I, I keep trying to take my head and, and put myself outside of Patriots organization here. And Let's say this is happening to Peyton Manning. The way that this whole thing has gone, I still go back to, do you really want to do this to a guy who has brought you so much as far as revenue, attention, the right way to go about the, the game of football, the NFL, integrity of what we stand for, when it comes to what they have as far as proof is concerned. And it's almost just like, hey, give the guy probation. You penalize the Patriots organization already with the traffic and the fine and everything else. You've embarrassed the organization, crap, except as punishment. At this point, someone's got to be saying to Goodell, and even Goodell's got to be saying to himself, let's put, let's give this guy a fine if we have to and put him on probation. And, and now going forward, everything will be mentioned. Everything will be monitored closely with you, especially Tom Brady. But going forward, it, it, it's too much of a joke in my mind at this point. I wouldn't do that to Peyton Manning. I wouldn't do that to Drew Brees, guys that have built this NFL, and you don't have all that incredible proof. It's not like Michael Pineda, and you have it all over his neck, the, the pine tar, which you saw at the Yankees. You don't have that. So if you don't have that, lay off the guy here. Come to a reasonable uh, conclusion here in your mind, and integrity, yes, but going forward, we're going to watch this closely now and let Tom Brady off the hook here. Find him and let him be a part of that banner racing. And you know what? You piss off everybody else around the NFL, so be it. They'll all go after Brady and the Patriots even that much harder this season, which will make for higher ratings, better games, and everything else. He is Dan Roach. You can see him on WBZ TV. You can hear him on 98.5 The Sports Hub. You can follow him on Twitter at Roachy WBZ. Uh, Dan, thanks a lot. Great stuff, as always, and I hope to talk to you again soon. Always a pleasure, Danny. Keep up the good work, bud. All right, thank you. All right, great stuff right there from Dan Roach, WBZ TV. Uh, thanks again for joining me. And I'm going to wrap up the show here with some thoughts looking back on the weekend that was, first and foremost, you know, you pay attention to this uh, a British Open, the playoff yesterday. I mean, I thought this thing would never end. Zach Johnson wins the British Open in the playoff yesterday, defeating Louis Oosthuizen. And, you know, you kept your eye on, on Jordan Speed throughout. Dustin Johnson really was the biggest disappointment, I thought, in the weekend. I mean, this guy, you know, the first two days, or should I say the fir- first two rounds, was atop the leaderboard, and then he just fell off. And, and I do think that had something to do with the way the schedule was, with all the weather delays, and just, just the weather in general. I mean, the second delay, what was it, on Saturday, they had to stop this tournament because... Of the wind. And you look at the, the video. I believe it was Scott Van Pelt that gave you the video on the telecast. In which he takes a couple. He takes a random cup. Like a red solo cup. Or whatever it was. Took, took a cup. And he took a bottle of water. And he went to just dump the water into the cup. And the water wouldn't go. Not even a drop of water would go into the cup. That's how strong the wind was. It was, it was just blowing the, the, the water out of the water bottle. Away from the cup. That's how insane it was. The g- balls were on the green. And they were moving. They were blowing off the green while they were just there. I mean, they stopped the tournament. I do think that has something to do with Dustin Johnson uh, and him falling apart. But also, we've now seen, you know, you go back to the U.S. Open, you go to this, you know, the, the putt that Johnson missed uh, that, that helped Jordan Spieth win the U.S. Open, and then you look at him falling off in this tournament in the championship rounds, the, two, the last two rounds. It is a question now. It is something that we will talk about Every time we bring his name up, will he choke? 
Uh, so you get into now the PGA Championships and what that looks like. I, I do. I did look at the odds this morning. Dustin Johnson, you know, still somebody that not. I don't think he's the favorite, but certainly one of the top favorites. I believe Jordan Spieth is the favorite to win it. And if I did put my money on who would win the uh, PGA Championship, it would be Jordan Spieth. But you wonder if Dustin Johnson. And by the way, he is good enough to be there at the end. You know, given especially if there's normal conditions and it's just. You know, this is the tournament that you're going to end the year with. I do believe Dustin Johnson will be there, has the ability to be there, certainly. Will he be able to, to, to you know, with his own abilities, close this thing, close it out? I, I'm not sure about that. But Zach Johnson wins the British Open in the playoff yesterday afternoon. And one other thing is, before I get to the WWE thoughts, how about the shock attack? This guy in a surfing competition, he just gets attacked by a shock. I mean, you know, we just had Shock Week not too long ago, and, and I told you all those crazy shows in which guys are going down and they're in uh, cages and and they're they're swimming with makos. I mean, this was a smaller shock. It wasn't like a great white, but it's still a shock. I mean, you don't want a shock coming up to you because I don't care how big it is, it's gonna bite your leg off, right? D- this guy, I believe, escaped his shock attack without any major injuries. At least, I mean, he was doing interviews after. He seemed fine. He was on his board, and I don't know if he was going out or if he was just done. I'm not, I don't pay attention to the surfing competitions. I wouldn't know the first thing about it. So I don't know if he was done or if he was just going out to start. Either way, shock attacks him, and you can see it come up. What I think happened was, and this is just based on my shock week uh, experience from watching it on TV, right? This is my This is my shock week expertise. I believe the shock... Right? Don't don't they just they swim into you? They slam into you first, just to sort of test the waters, no pun intended, and and see what's going on. Right? Don't they try to knock out their prey or try to smash into their prey first? I think that's what happened. Smashed into the prey, and I think what at least what from I've seen is if you hit the shock in the nose, then you scare it off, and that's that. Now, obviously. The odds of you actually smashing it with the right amount of pressure and in the right spot before you get eaten alive are not very good, and it's not a situation that I ever want to be in. But since this guy was in it, you know, he gets bumped by the shock, and I think he was literally two seconds away from getting his leg chomped off. And what he does is I think he gave it a good kick, and I think he got lucky. I think he made the kick, hit the shock in the right spot with the right amount of pressure to what we've seen. You know, if you watch Shock Week, the thing gets scared and it goes away. And it's a battle that it doesn't want at the moment. And you hurry up and you get the fuck out of the water. And that's that. I mean, the, the guy just got lucky. But we, aren't there are just, we're seeing all this shit with shocks and... Uh, and I don't know if it's because they do Shock Week all the time and it's, they, you know, it's always sort of in our head... And it's in our head more now than it was years ago. I have no idea. It just does seem like there are a lot more of these stories and videos going on uh, than than anybody really should want to imagine. So, am I saying stay out of the water? No, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying keep your eyes open, I guess. I, not, and even if you do have your eyes open when one's coming at you, uh, you know, I don't know that you can do what this guy did. This guy just got lucky, I think, on the surfboard. But, um, you know. He's got, a, he's got a great story to tell for the rest of his life. I don't know that that's going to stop him from going in the water. Most likely will not. Uh, but that is a great story. You can tell uh, that you beat up a shock. And it's on video, by the way. It's on video. 
another cool part of that story. Uh, what also is on video is WWE Battleground over the weekend. I did watch it, and, you know, I see, I have a theory on WWE, and, and a lot of a lot of people that, that follow it, whether they, you know, online, giving up dirt sheets, or they're just, you know, your casual viewer, I don't get a lot of people to agree with me on this, but I think that what you saw with The Undertaker's return and the whole Undertaker-Brock Lesnar situation, I think it just proves my point, that Vince McMahon is thinking, like, five years down the road. Whenever you see... Now, storylines can change, all right? They can. They can absolutely change. But, for the most part, Vince McMahon, whoever it is, Stephanie McMahon, Triple H, the WWE, they are thinking so far down the road with their storylines that it's... I don't think people want to believe they do this, but they do. But I think that's why it makes the product so great is that they think so far ahead. Like, for instance, The Undertaker returned on Sunday night at Battleground. And what he did was he interrupted the Brock Lesnar-Seth Rollins match. Seth Rollins has the WWE title. Uh, Brock Lesnar was looking to get it back. Brock Lesnar's just beating the shit out of Seth Rollins the entire match, hitting him with suplex, suplex city, and he finally gives him his finisher, and he goes to pin him. It's over, right? One... Two, lights go out. Couple seconds, lights come back on. Seth Rollins no longer in the ring. And The Undertaker is. It's The Undertaker versus Brock Lesnar in the ring at that moment in time. And all of a sudden, it's holy shit, it's a holy shit moment. The Undertaker's not just returned. He's returned to revenge his loss at WrestleMania, not last year, the year before. And if you can recall that loss that The Undertaker had at WrestleMania to Brock Lesnar, it was, if you listen to Paul Heyman ever, it was that Brock Lesnar conquered the streak. Eat, sleep, conquer the streak. Right? And that's what Brock Lesnar did. He beat the streak. Undertaker had a crazy, undefeated WrestleMania streak. And, you know... He's the one. Brock Lesnar's the one, right, that beat The Undertaker at WrestleMania. And uh, a lot of people were shocked by this at the time. Shocked by it. Like, oh, why would... And they were questioning. They're like, why would you do that? Because that doesn't do anything. Because last year, guess what? Undertaker returned was at WrestleMania in, what, April of this year? Earlier this year? A couple months ago? And he did fight again. And, you know, it was... You know, it wasn't... It just didn't have the same feeling to it because he wasn't undefeated. It's almost like, what did it mean, right? It's because it's not like he fought Brock Lesnar. Brock Lesnar was um, defending his title against Roman Reigns, and then Seth Rollins cashed in the money in the bank, and Seth Rollins won and is your champion and still is now to this day. And I'll get to that storyline in a second. But, but the fact that The Undertaker returned at Battleground and then was on Raw last night, and basically, you know, they had this, by the way, it, and that was great. The whole Brock Lesnar versus The Undertaker, they're fighting the whole, you know, the whole uh, dressing room comes out. Every guy that's in WWE, outside of the bigger names, they come out and they're breaking it up and they can't be broken up and it goes to the back. It was great. It was awesome. You know, that's a moment that I think goes down in time where you say, oh, remember the Lesnar-Undertaker history there? The fights, they had that big brawl on Raw. I think you'll remember that. 
to go along with this rivalry. But, you know, Undertaker again on Raw last night, and the Undertaker, they confirm Lesnar's going to fight the Undertaker at SummerSlam. Major event. It's one of the major four pay-per-views. You know, we even call them pay-per-views anymore because they're all in the network, the WWE network. I have the network, but we'll call them pay-per-views still for the t- for at least that, that's what we'll do. We'll call them pay-per-views. Um, the May one of the four major events, major pay-per-views is SummerSlam. It's in New York City. It's at the Barclays Center, and you want the big superstar matches, and this is one of them: Undertaker versus Lesnar. But this didn't just come up like two months ago. This storyline, this is a storyline, and people who asked why, and they asked, they wondered why the Undertaker lost at WrestleMania. I guarantee you, when they wrote the script, they were thinking this far ahead. And I, you know, I, I tell people this all the time when it comes to the CM Punk stuff and the UFC partnership and the Brock Lesnar thing on ESPN, where he's teasing the UFC comeback. Honestly, I told you, at some point, the main event's going to be CM Punk versus Brock Lesnar and a battle for two former UFC guys for the title. I just, it, it's, inevi- it's inevitable to me. Uh, it's going to happen. And say, they say, no, CM Punk's in UFC. He's not going to be back for a while. Well, guess what? The WWE has things planned out much longer than you think. And I think this Brock Lesnar undertake a storyline for them fighting and redemption at SummerSlam is is the perfect storyline. And I think they knew this was going to happen when they made the decision to have Lesnar beat The Undertaker at WrestleMania two years ago. Honestly. But I think that's what makes it great is that they have this stuff rolling a couple of years in advance. So it makes you think, like... It just makes you think certain storylines right now, like where could they lead in two years from now? Guess what? WWE, WWE they know where this, the, for instance, John Cena is going to fight Seth Rollins, it looks like, for the championship at SummerSlam. That's where we're going. I was wondering, you know, Seth Rollins is in the ring last night. And by the way, Rollins is great. And I didn't know how I felt about him at first. This guy's great in the ring. I, I think he's the best in the, you know, obviously, Paul Ham is the best on the mic, but best wrestler that's in the biz now on the mic, I think Rollins is. Rollins has really figured it out. He's a he's Rollins is great, and I think he's a great champ. Um, he's a great guy to hate, but also you sort of love to hate that type of guy, that type of of heel, and he's great in the mic. Uh, and I, and I hope he stays by himself. I don't like him with coming down with. J&J security or the authority. I, I like him better when he's by himself. And you know what? He's got the whole, the, the weasel aspect to him where he's, Cena comes down last night and, and, you know, finally Rollins looks like he's going to fight him and he just decides to, just rolls under the bottom rope, takes his belt with him and puts his belt up in the air and laughs. I mean, that's the guy. That's like old school WWF champion heel weasel move. I loved it. I love every second of it. Uh, and, and you know what? It sort of helped. You know, the place went nuts last night when Cena's music hit. And I know they're, they're saying, John Cena sucks, right? When his music comes down. But there was a little bit different feel than when Cena came to the ring last night when his music hit. Almost as if people were happy to see him. I can tell you this. When his music hit, I don't know if I... I didn't... I don't know how I felt about it. I wasn't very... I wasn't extremely excited to see see that he was going to be the guy to fight Rollins for the title. At SummerSlam. But it's looking like that's going to be the case. And, you know, they're going to do this thing in which 
you know, what belt means more, the WWE title or the U.S. title? Will it lead to Cena winning? I don't know. I think it probably does. I think we probably get a Cena-Rollins feud now. But both of these guys on the mic last night, I thought that was pretty good. I think At first, I didn't like the Cena getting involved in this. But now, seeing both of those guys on the mic with each other, I think we could be in for a pretty good rivalry here for the next couple months. Maybe even through the rest of the year into Survivor Series. Uh, I, I really think we could. And, you know, maybe at that point, by the end of the year, you get into Roman Reigns being back into it, back into the, the title contention, right? You get into that stuff. Maybe at some point, you know, they keep the Reigns-Wyatt controversy going and they bring Bray Wyatt into the WWE title situation. I think that would be good, too, based on how good he is on the mic. So, definitely, and, and then, of course, you cannot forget that, and you got to think, that Brock Lesnar will be back in that conversation at some point. Right? I'd love to see the Lesnar Bray Wyatt stuff go on. I I think there's a a lot of ways they could go. And you talk about now, is Sting going to be involved? They're saying that Sting might be involved in a six-man tag at SummerSlam with, uh, you know, going, they'll be going with the Sting Bray Wyatt, uh, you know, rivalry maybe a little bit there. I, I guess. I don't know that that does, to be honest, I don't know that that does anything for Sting. I was thinking that maybe it was going to be Sting versus Cena. I thought that maybe they'd go there. You know, Sting used to be the face of the the WCW. You know, Cena's sort of, you look at him, the last 10, 15 years, the face of WWE. You know, and maybe you go with that storyline. I, I don't know. I, I, I just thought maybe they'd do that. They're not. They're going to go Cena-Rollins. I didn't know how I felt about it at first. Now I do like it. But again, Lesnar versus The Undertaker. It's great. I, I just think it confirms to me that they're thinking way down the line longer than anybody thinks. And that when they made this decision for Undertaker to lose at WrestleMania, I honestly think that they had this in mind, that a couple years down the road, they might not have said it's going to happen at SummerSlam, but they knew that a couple years down the road they were going to have Undertaker come back and revenge, uh, get revenge on Lesnar. Right, And that's how they would close out The Undertaker's career, by having The Undertaker beat the beast, the guy that nobody can beat, the guy that's been manhandling everybody in the WWE. And that would put The Undertaker over, obviously we know great, one of the greatest of all time, but you get that way to finish it, and perhaps it happens here at SummerSlam. Right, Undertaker, maybe he finishes it off, and maybe he comes back for one more at WrestleMania, who knows, to beat Sting or something. Who knows? But this will, you know, it, it, it adds a little closure to, to uh, really the people who are wondering, why would you have Undertaker lose at WrestleMania? Well, here's why. Because now we have one heck of a storyline, don't we? And I can't wait to watch SummerSlam. I think we got four or five weeks now to let this thing play out. So uh, whatever route that they go in the next couple weeks on Raw, it should be interesting to see. But for the, for the most part, I think we have most of the major storylines right in front of our eyes. So we'll see what happens with Sting. Does he come back? Who knows? That's what they're saying. But when he does, we'll keep our eyes out on what that uh, storyline will be. And I needed to bring it up because I watched the end, a little bit of Battleground. I watched Raw last night. And and because, let's face it, you know, the Red Sox were getting whooped in the first game. And in the second game, it didn't take long for them to start to lose and the home runs to start to come on Stephen Wright, the knuckleballer. I will watch tonight. Because I will be curious, not to see if the Red Sox can climb up the standings, but I'm curious to see if Brian Johnson and what he can be as uh, the 
one of the top prospects in this organization, top prospect pitches, will pitch tonight for the Sox in Houston against the Astros, which is a very good Astros team. Uh, as you look at the Astros right now in the standings, they are a team that is battling with the Angels in the AL West. If the playoffs began today, the Astros would be playing in the wild card game, but in the AL West, the Astros are two games behind the Angels. So it could be interesting the next couple days and weeks with the trade deadline and to see what the Red Sox will do, but it's clear they need to sell and they need to think of 2016 and not 2015. Also, still waiting on Roger Goodell. When he comes up with a decision or at least decides to let us know what his decision is, I will react to it. Here five days a week, dannypicard.com. Special thanks to Dan Roach for joining me this morning. You can get every show on my website, also on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, really anywhere that you can get a podcast. Make sure you subscribe today. I will talk to you tomorrow.